and welcome back to 52 Founders. I'm your host, Chrissy Costa, and this week I'm live from my hometown in New York. Joining me today is Rachel Silver, founder and CEO of Love Stories TV, the go-to media company for wedding videos that inspire and excite millennials. It's no secret that the wedding industry is massive, and plenty of startups are looking to take a piece of the pie. Yet listening to Rachel explain to me the opportunity she sees for media within that realm made me realize there's still so much of the pie up for grabs. But enough for me, it's time to hear from Rachel herself. great to have you in this disgusting weather. <laughs> it's a pleasure. I'm inside, uh, so it's okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so start by telling us about your background. How did you come up with the idea for Love Stories TV and what exactly is it? Sure. Um, Love Stories TV is a media company where we're building the first library of real wedding videos to inspire millennial women and brides-to-be. Um and I worked previously at Birchbox for four and a half years, and I ran the social media team there um, and social marketing and content strategy. And that is how I came up with the idea for Love Story TV. We were always working hard to create um, super engaging, high quality content that was original, an original sort of key thing there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if you go on your Facebook feed today, you'll probably see the same article 20 times, right? Um, yeah. Which, as, uh, a marketer and a content producer is discouraging. Um, and particularly we were um, the content arm of a retailer. So we had different resources than Condé Nast and Hearst. So um, competing with them, uh, we have to be really strategic, right? Because we're competing mm-hmm. for the same eyeballs in the Facebook feed. I was always thinking a lot about what content's original, uh, what content could be curated and aggregated. Um, but what you find is that if we were like, okay, well, sure, there's, you know, thousands of smoky eye tutorials on YouTube, but are they going to do what we need them to do as a, as a retailer and as a brand, right? So I was yeah. always thinking about that a lot. And um, I got married in 2013. I did not have a wedding filmmaker at my wedding. Um, my mother planned my whole wedding for me. It was amazing um, and perfect. And I just sort of showed up. And, um, but all my friends were starting to have these wedding videos produced. And yeah, mine too. I started, yeah. And so when my mom called and said, do you want a videographer, you know, and I was like, no, nah, it's okay. Um, but I started to see my friends after my wedding and I was totally blown away. They look like Oscar nominated feature film trailers. I couldn't believe it. They're super yeah. high quality. They're the perfect length. They showcase the brands and services in the most aspirational way. Um, and they're entertainment. You know, you could watch a wedding video of someone you don't know either to get ideas and inspiration for your own wedding or for the same reason you watch your favorite reality TV shows. So um, that sort of clicked for me, my experience um, professionally and also what I was seeing in the real world. And I started poking around and I saw that none of the publishers were leveraging this content. And if you um, stop and think about it, every single women's media company has a wedding vertical from the New York Times, Huffington Post, Condé Nast, Meredith, Hearst, BuzzFeed, everybody, right? And um, they were using video here and there because their social teams were like, oh, if you put a video on Facebook, it'll perform well. But no one was really using them um, on their own and operated or as the core of their business. Um, And so all those factors converged and um, we launched Love Stories TV. So what is the opportunity you see? And, And, you know, in this kind of space where it might not be so obvious to the consumer, how would you actually make money from this? 
Sure. So we're a media company. So um, primarily we will make money from uh, advertising, but also um, commerce. So we're launching mm-hmm. with national advertising first because um, it's the you know sort of lowest hanging fruit and the most obvious one to grab. So um, any brands that want to get in front of our audience, which um, is 50% 18 to 24 right now. So it's not mm-hmm. just women with uh, a ring on their finger. People, you know, 8.8 million people watch The Bachelor every week. <laughs> and, uh, you know, 30% of all of the, this is really interesting, 30% of all of the boards on Pinterest, so that's 300, 30% equals 300 million boards are secret wedding boards. So that means people that are engaging, (laughs) yeah, they're engaging with wedding content secretly because they might not actually be planning their wedding. Um, So wedding content sells, romantic comedies sell, uh, reality TV centered around love story sells, right? So there's a national advertising piece. And then there's the local advertising, uh, you know, or vendor piece. If you're planning your wedding, you're looking for services for your wedding and um, seeing flowers in a video or seeing a band in a video um, or seeing a venue in a video is, you know, uh, arguably the best way to research that. Um, And then commerce. So uh, this doesn't exist on our site today, but we are, uh, it's on our, something we're building to enable you to buy the things that you see. Um, Whether that's the really obvious things like the dress or the shoes, although most people aren't buying their dress online, but they're doing a ton of research online, but um, key lights and candles and the signs that line the aisle and streamers and the gifts you give your bride. I mean, right. It's endless. So, um, you know, there's people that are playing in the wedding planning space, but they're not also entertainment and their content leaves something to be desired. Um, yeah. and their tools leave something to be desired. So, so that's what we're, that's what we're doing. And it's such an enormous space. I mean, every, uh, there's so many businesses in it. So I, I find that this really interesting and particularly because I think the rise of wedding videos have started. I mean, you obviously would know this more than I do, but it, colloquially, it seems like they started in the last five years or that's just perhaps when my friends have been getting married, but it seems like there's been a new wave of wedding videos. Yes, there has been. So, you know, um, like going back to my personal story, I remember my first friend, I'm 33. My first friend got married when we were 24. So what's that, nine years ago? And she had a videographer at her wedding. It was a man and he had a big camera on his shoulder with a big microphone and a bright light. Right. So um, when my... I had probably been at tons of weddings that had a wedding filmmaker there. And I didn't notice, you know, in the last nine years, but hers is what I remember. So my mom was like, do you want a wedding videographer? I was like, no, but that's not what it is today. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. They're using a DSLR. So like they blend in with the photographer um, and, you know, the, the cultural um, phenomenon that's happening is that people are hiring filmmakers for everything they used to hire a photographer for. So we are launching with wedding videos because it's the biggest category right now. But these filmmakers are shooting um, birth announcements, gender reveals, day of birth, mm. bat mitzvahs, promposals, vow renewals, birthday parties. Um, video is the medium in which people consume content and research products. Yes, definitely. And so what was the tipping point when you were at Birchbox? Um, what was the tipping point to make you finally start and start your own company? 
Um, you know, I loved Birchbox. So I, I was not out looking for new opportunities. It's just sometimes you get an idea that you can't quit. Um, and when the idea is so interwoven to what you do all day, every day, that you keep identifying um, moments in your work that make you realize it's a good idea or you think it's a good idea, it gets harder and harder to, to let yeah. go of. Um, I, if I, you know, my husband, um, is a data scientist. And so he, when I, when I told him the idea, he went to university of Chicago. <laughs> uh, oh, when nice. I told him the idea, he immediately like picked up on the opportunity and the possibilities and being a man who's not interested at all in weddings, that was really powerful too. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it made, it was making it more clear as I discussed it with him, uh, who's someone who's also, you know, in the industry, um, that he was, was seeing the opportunity. I think that made a difference right away. Um, yeah. it wasn't and just then, uh, my female friends being like, I love watching wedding videos also, you know, definitely. I think, uh, when we were at first round, actually Haley said that if there's a shower test and if you can't stop thinking yes. about it yes. two weeks shower, that's it. it's probably a good idea to get started. I, you know, it's really funny when you asked me that question, that's the first thing I thought of. And I was like, that's Haley's, like, I'm not going to say that's Haley's thing, yeah. but yeah, she's talking about it all the time. And she's totally right. And I also, she and I have talked about this, like, you have like your best thinking and ideas in the shower because there's no electronics <laughs> around you to like distract you. So it's like, just, you know, even when you're like exercising, it's like there's TVs or your music or whatever. But yeah, so I agree. Um, so now let's talk about you and your earlier years. So you said you grew up in Detroit. Was that right? Yep. Mm-hmm. I'm from the suburbs of Detroit. I went to Michigan State University. Um, yes. I got my master's at the American University of Paris. I was studying international affairs, conflict resolution, and civil society development. Not oh, wow. at all related to media or beauty or weddings. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's and quite I, a good uh, <laughs> Yeah, totally. Yeah. So I was in Paris. That's what I was doing a master's in. I left Paris to come to New York because it's uh, more, you know, there's more professional opportunities. It's tough to break in to a market um, like like Paris market. So, and my, um, you know, my now husband and my best friends were in New York. So I came to New York and I started interviewing for jobs more related to my studies. And it was just really boring. I was like, man, I don't want this to be my life. This is like not fun. <laughs> These are big <laughs> big, really kind of stale places. Um, and so I just started applying to jobs. Um, Media Bistro was this like website that people still use, but particularly then. And I started applying to like different media jobs because my best friend like suggested that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I ended up at um, Howcast Media, which is okay. uh, a how-to video startup um, founded by an early Googler who had worked on the YouTube acquisition. Um, and he had identified that um, how to was going to be the biggest category on YouTube. And he wasn't wrong. And, and Howcast now is the biggest how to channel on YouTube. Um, and so that was my first job in New York. So um, that's how I got into video and then got into to social media and to marketing. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think so. Yeah. But before that, so when you were younger, um, you know, what were your parents? What were your parents doing for a living as a kid? And, and what was growing up in Detroit like or the suburbs of Detroit? Sure. Um, I grew up in like a very magical, like very Pleasantville-esque type place. It's the, my <laughs> town is called Huntington Woods. It's one square mile. 
my husband and I went to kindergarten together. So it's oh, like wow. you're in suburban Detroit. It's very metropolitan, but like our little town was very um, lovely and it was like its own little city. Um, I didn't, I, yeah, so I went to, and my husband and I went to kindergarten together. Um, I was a competitive figure skater, a stink, competitive stink oh, wow. figure skater. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I did that all the way through Michigan State University. How did you, um, how did you get into that? Uh, if you live in suburban Detroit, there's a pretty good chance you're doing an ice sport. It's like not that that rare. Um, synchronized skating, uh, you've probably not heard of if you're not from like the Northeast or Canada, but it was like a big sport. It's like the Rockets on ice, you know? Wow. Um, yeah. And, uh, and do you remember like that, having, uh, do you ever having any leadership roles in that kind of, you know, either there or outside of your synchronized skating? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I was, uh, yeah, I think I was like naturally, um, put myself or tried to insert myself into leadership roles. I was called bossy a lot, which I think now is like a negative term, but that's definitely like the kind of kid that I was like, uh, planning a costume party for my brother and making all of his friends wear costumes, whether he wanted (laughs) to or not like that, that type of kid, you know? Um, and, uh, yeah, and my um my family own their own business, so oh, wow. um that was uh you know I grew up with like my dad and my uncle and my grandfather like running a business, so that's something I was familiar with, comfortable with. So did you start thinking about entrepreneurship when you were younger, or when did that really peak for you as an idea? Um, I think if you if I think about it, I was like kind of the kind of kid who was just like always having ideas. I remember trying like trying to start like a summer camp out of my mom's garage, you know, like, <laughs> like that type of thing. I think I, the baby, I think I was like really inspired by the babysitters club. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so I don't think, but I don't think like, as I got older, I was like, Oh, I'm, I am definitely going to start my own business. Like I was mm-hmm. interested in it and felt comfortable with it and thought that I would, if I had the right idea, but I think there's two, I think there's people who go out looking for an idea and people. And I, I think I grew up in the kind of family where like, that was something we did. Like we, we did that at dinner a lot, like talked about what's going to be our next big idea. What could we start? Like, that's just sort of like how my family is. So again, I was like comfortable with it, but I wasn't like at bird tracks every day being like, okay, I'm just waiting for the minute where I'm going to go start my own business, you know? Right. Um, That makes sense. So did your, um, were your parents surprised then when you became an entrepreneur? Um, no, they weren't surprised at all. <laughs> they were, they weren't surprised at all, but they, um, were recognized. Birchak was an incredible, incredible opportunity. It really changed my life and my career trajectory. It was really fun. Um, I worked with the best, smartest people. I don't want to say I'll ever work with, cause I plan to build an incredible team as well, but you know, mm. once in a lifetime, um, professional opportunity so I think you know they were very much like very supportive but you know it's tough when your kid is like I have a great job and I'm gonna leave it you know Mm -hmm. yeah but uh, so how did you make the jump from you know competitive figure skating in high school and I'm assuming (laughs) lots of other other interests then go international studies and conflict resolution to what you're going to study in school I, let's see, I think I just, I was, uh, I always hated math and science. It was 
didn't come easily to me, but I excelled in, um, you know, English and history and writing. So I like, um, you know, leaned into those types of topics mm-hmm. and, um, I think I was just interest. It was just interesting, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, Michigan state, I, uh, let's see, I really want to go to Michigan. I always want to go to university of Michigan. Um, that's where my husband went. And then I did not get in. I went to Michigan state, did very, very well. Didn't get in again to Michigan. And I was like, forget it. <laughs> this is obviously <laughs> not meant to be. And I joined James Madison college, which is a, um, the political science college at Michigan state. And it's a really incredible program. It's a small college within an enormous university. You live in a dorm with all the kids that are in your um, major and great professors, really special program. And um, someone had just suggested it to me because I was just sort of interested in that. I think when I got to college, I was like a communications major or something like that. You know, Mm. I can't even remember. Um, and so joining James Madison, like it was just interesting, really interesting. And so then when I graduated school, you know, I'd studied abroad in like Belgium and France and I wanted to go back. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was like, Oh, I'll go get a master's in this stuff too. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so it just sort of happened that way. I think as a lot of things do when you're like younger. I agree. I actually was also an international studies major, but I focused oh, on cool. the Middle East. So I guess co- conflict yeah, wasn't too. too far off. <laughs> um, and then now I talk to people and they say, why do you want to do that? I said, I found it really interesting at the time, but I knew I didn't want to do it professionally. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It took me and a so, while to realize I didn't want to do it professionally, but it's just interesting. And like, yeah. you're, in, you're sitting in classes and being lectured to and like you just do better if you're genuinely interested in the subject matter you know I think that just goes to the inherent curiosity you need um but again so you know I'm I'm hearing your story and it's so interesting to me saying you worked at Bird Box and now you're at Love Stories TV so given that you could say I mean they're not extremely similar companies but they're not too far off like your main target audience is most likely females um perhaps a certain mm-hmm. age range that are similar to Birchbox or how do you make this company your own and, you know, not just be a replica of what you saw? Sure. Well, our first uh, team member at Love Story TV is a Birchbox alum. So I'm already like failing at that question. Um, But (laughs) no, I mean, I think, I think being at two startups very early teaches you a lot, a lot of what you want to do the same and like what you want to do different. Um, and that's just something I'm thinking about like all the time, you know? Um, and that's one of like the benefits, but also like pitfalls of um, being an entrepreneur is that you're like, okay, I remember we did this one thing this way and I don't want to do it that way. Um, and so you're like really sort of like high on being able to do things your own way, which is like good, but also you have to like keep it in check, I think. Um, and keep in perspective that like sometimes at a bigger organization like things didn't it wasn't necessarily because the leadership like uh was like oh I want it to go this way like things happen things um you have a team you have to compromise there's a lot of stakeholders you know and Mm. the more you do it on your own the more like that clarifies um but I think you know it's a big learning that I did take away from Birchbox I do think about a lot is like um knowing who your target customer is versus like who your like tiny segment of like um, passionate enthusiasts are. 
mm-hmm. right? So like uh, something we thought about a lot at Birchbox is like, is the person who's obsessed with makeup who comments on every Facebook post the person who has um, like the cart size that we're looking for? You know, and the same thing with weddings, like is the person who um, shares every single Facebook video because they're like wedding obsessed, uh, is that group big enough for what you're doing? And the answer is like probably no, you know, because these yeah. are big ideas with big audiences. So I think that, uh, I guess is the opposite of your question. You were like, how do you not be the no, same? No, I, I that's think like that's a, a big, great answer though. And I guess yeah, it's like a big thing I learned. Yeah, my follow-up to that, especially for you is, you know, you said a lot of your, um, the people on Pinterest were 18 to 24 in the target market. Mm-hmm. What happens after people have their wedding and how do they, engage, how do you see them engaging with content now? Sure. So, you know, media. we're, yeah. So we launched in October, so we're still learning. And like, I think it'll be interesting to see if that 18 to 24 group stays 50% mm-hmm. or becomes smaller or, or bigger. But I think our, what makes us different and interesting is that we, um, are a media company first and we have this entertainment piece. So we're not just for people of a ring on their finger planning their wedding. That's a huge market, but not as big as the market we're going after, which is just like people that want to consume this content, even for entertainment, which makes it a lot bigger. And, you know, I'm 33. Most of my friends are married. And again, this is anecdotal, but like they're all watching the videos mm-hmm. too, because it's just great content, you know? Yeah. Um, and it will be interesting to see over time how the doers and the dreamers, what percentage they make up of our audience. Um, but then there's this other piece that I talked about, which is like that these life moment filmmakers are capturing more segments than just weddings. So for the foreseeable future, weddings will be the biggest. But um, what we're building is a media company that's focused around real people who have hired a professional to capture their stories. Mm-hmm. And it's a new it's a new type of content. So user-generated content is one thing people vlogging on YouTube. It's very lightly edited and then branded content. And this is somewhere in between. And I would argue, um, better, you know, yeah. more, more engaging because it's real, but it's high quality and it's edited. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think that these are very addicting videos to watch, even just be on your site. Um, you can go kind of in a, almost like a Wikipedia spiral downhole, just clicking yeah. on more and more content. Um, exactly. which is great for you. <laughs> um, I'm glad so, that you keep that, keep that in when you edit this. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so we're going to end with some, you know, fun questions to round out the interview. So what's the best piece of advice you've gotten so far as an entrepreneur? Um, someone told me it was probably Haley or Katia that it feels much like a roller coaster. That's like, um, there's really good stuff and really stressful stuff. And I think hearing that from someone on the other side before I started is powerful because you do feel like that. And it's important to know, I think having the perspective that other people feel like that too keeps you from falling off the roller coaster. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely. Think that empathy level is, is really important. Um, yeah. And if you got any advice and you don't have to share with you, what is advice you've gotten that's you view as the worst, maybe something that you've heard and you've just decided to ignore or in your experience has been something different? Um, I think that, well, so, okay, this is flipping the question a little bit. I was talking to one of my advisors the other day and, you know, he said, every company is different. Every company is unique. And I think what happens is that, um, 
still today, most startup founders are technical and are men. Mm -hmm. Um, That's like my experience. Maybe that's not statistically correct that they're mostly technical, but they're definitely mostly men. And so um, what works for some people isn't going to work for other people. And you have to like, just keep your eye on like what you're doing. Um, So that, I guess that's like good advice, but good advice that comes from lots of people giving you advice that doesn't apply to you, you know, and you have to just, every company's unique. Every situation's unique. Everyone brings different things to the table. Yeah. Um, no, that's a really so good point. It, yeah. So, so there's a lot of advice that you have to like listen to, but ultimately be brave enough to like ignore. Cause if you really think about it, it's not right for you. Yeah. And I think that's what I hear a lot with um, taglines too. When people say we're the, you know, we're the birch box for X. I think a lot of the times it makes sense translating it to people, but you know, you wonder how innovative you're going to be if you're, if you're already like, you know, the, this for that. Um, you know, what's so interesting about that is that, oh, sorry to interrupt you. No, 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 keep going, please. Is, um, I recently started explaining to people, particularly men, I'll say we're housed for weddings. Mm-hmm. Um, because house has this, uh, it's very similar, right? You could go there just for entertainment or to dream or to look at beautiful photos and like half the time, or you can use it as a really powerful tool if you're trying to buy something for your home or renovate it. And that's exactly what we're doing at Love Stories TV. But one, I didn't start saying that until like a year in Mm -hmm. when I realized I needed a way to like explain it to people who weren't um, familiar with the category. Um, And I do think it's like a powerful explainer, but I agree with you. I think if you start there if I had started Mm -hmm. there I would have been making house for weddings and if I start with my own thing and then realize that's a good way to explain it it's a powerful tool but not um right especially for those who are not your target audience um that might be a little more help (laughs) exactly yeah it doesn't mean they won't be interested later or won't be excited about your idea but like you know you can't expect everyone to to know what I mean when I say wedding video you know yeah Exactly. They're picturing that thing you and I talked about that I saw at my friend's wedding nine years ago. <laughs> yes, I, I totally agree. Um, and then finally, if you could interview a founder, who would you most want to hear from and why? Oh, man, such a good question. Um, I would want to interview, I think, Carly Rooney from The Knot. I think that, like, mm-hmm. you have to be really careful to, like, not be too... Um, too influenced by what other people are doing in your space you have to keep your eye on what you're doing but I think people are foolish not to like want to learn from the pioneers in their space Mm -hmm. and and the not is obviously um so and that's someone I've never met and I think that would be fascinating yeah I I think that's a really great point I think um so many times people don't want to appear to be imitating but I agree that especially given the time period of when they started as well. Um, you know, when you look at the importance of social media and in especially things like weddings and starting a company, a media company before all that, when in going through the tank changing technological times, would be really interesting to hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on my show. This has been great to have you. All right, that's it for this week's episode of 52 Founders. I'm your host, Chrissy Costa, 
And be sure to check out 52founders.com and follow us on Twitter at 52founders so that you don't miss a thing. I'll see you next week for another episode.